I want to talk today about one of the incredibly important ingredients to vision. Vision requires a lot of things. It requires, we've talked about how it needs, uh, it needs a problem to solve and uh, it needs a plan. But there is an essential ingredient <clears throat> in vision that we haven't really talked too much about. And that essential ingredient is this, it's faith. Faith is the essential ingredient in vision. We've got to have faith. Come on, somebody. It would be so helpful if God just gave us everything we needed every time we had a great idea, wouldn't it? If he just gave us all the resources and all the relational networking, if he gave us all the things we needed every time we had a great idea and it just went smoothly, it would be so nice if that was how the world worked. But for some reason, God allows us in this space between our vision, this great idea and our plan, this gap where this thing happens and we have to sometimes believe, come on now, that for our God-sized vision to happen, God might actually have to show up. And if he has to show up, it's going to require some faith. Because if he doesn't have to show up, then I can probably do it by myself. I remember several years back, I was youth pastoring, and I had a young lady, a very quiet young lady. I might have shared part of the story before. A very quiet young lady come to me and say she wanted to start a Bible study at her school. And I remember looking at her and thinking, oh, that's adorable. <laughs> but you don't talk very much. And starting things is really hard for people who don't talk very much, who are naturally very quiet. Jumping in and serving, great. But gathering people to a thing is going to be really hard for you because you're quiet, as sweet as can be, but very, very quiet. And I thought, okay, so what is your strategy? And she said, I'm just going to put, a, I think, a paper up saying that there is a Bible study available at lunch, and then I'm going to sit at a table, and I'm going to read my Bible and see if anyone comes. And I was like okay, I really love you and I'm excited for you. I don't know if that's going to work, but I want to encourage you. With God's help, anything is possible. And I remember she started <clears throat> doing that, and I would check in with her and say, hey, how's it going? She's like, it's going great. I was like, awesome. And I was like, how many, how many people have you been talking to? I haven't talked to anyone yet. <laughs> okay. But every day I'm there at lunch and I'm reading my Bible. Like, awesome. Weeks and weeks of this go by. Finally, I'm talking to her, and I'm getting discouraged for her. And I'm like, so how's it going? She's like, it's going great. And I'm like, how do you have this more faith than your youth pastor that this is going to go great? I'm so impressed, right? And I'll never forget when she came to me, and she said, hey, Pastor Mike. And I said, oh, here it comes, right? She's given up. It's been too much. And she goes, hey, Pastor Mike, can you recommend a Bible study for us to go through? And I was like, us? Who is this us you speak of? And lo and behold, months of just meeting by herself, I think it was every Wednesday she was doing it, at lunchtime, someone had sat down next to her and began talking to her, and now there was two and they were us. And this quiet little girl who was adorable and sweet and kind grew that little Bible study. I don't know that it ever grew more than maybe six or eight people, but she grew that Bible study, and that victory was so huge in her life and life-changing. You know what? It actually changed the culture at the school to where I was able to be invited. At first, I wasn't able to be invited to come and share at the Bible study, which is totally cool. At first, there was like no permission for me to be on campus, and suddenly it changed the whole dynamic. Why do I share this? I share this because sometimes we got to have faith. In this time in between when it looks like what we think the vision should look like, 
And when it actually is happening, we got to have faith. But it'd be nice if God just gave us everything we think we need right away. Why does God allow this process, this gap between what you think and feel the vision is telling you to go and where it's telling you to go and what you need in order to get there? Why does that happen? James, the brother of Jesus, says it this way, which I think is mean, but also really good. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He says, you know that when you have to exercise your faith like a muscle, it builds strength and stamina in you. Why? Verse four, so let perseverance finish its work so that you, be, you may become mature and complete and not lacking anything. Somehow in God's infinite kindness and in his infinite wisdom, he recognizes that when we got to exercise our faith, it does something good inside of us. And that if he just knocked all the dominoes over for us every time we had a good idea, that we would actually find ourselves in a place of incredible immaturity and a lack of depth and a lack of character. And so somehow, James, the brother of Jesus, wants us to grapple with this mystery that God allows us to have to wrestle and struggle and extend our faith because that does something in us. It changes us. It builds us to a place of maturity and dependence on him. It seems Ironic but true that God's end game often seems to be depth and maturity and growth in us even more than accomplishing the vision that he's called us to. That he, he wants to see us grow in the midst of that. So let's agree. Every vision is going to encounter obstacles. Every vision is going to encounter obstacles. The good thing is we serve an awesome God that will help us overcome any obstacle. If you have vision and you haven't encountered any obstacles yet, I'm wondering if your vision is big enough. If you have vision and you haven't struggled and had to step out in faith at any point, maybe that God-sized vision is your size and not God-sized. Just saying. The good news, though, is we serve an awesome God that will help us overcome any obstacle. That's why the key ingredient in visioneering is faith. Taking that God idea to a place where it can happen, the gap and the fuel of that is faith. So we got to define faith so that we know what the heck we're talking about here. The scripture gives us all kinds of good definitions and working definitions of faith, but if faith is a relatively undefined concept, it's one of those words we use, but if it's an undefined concept in your mind, let me give you a working definition of faith that will help you kind of put a picture together of what does it mean to be a person of faith. And I like this definition of faith. It says this, faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he's promised he will do. That's pretty good. If you haven't heard that before, you should take a picture of that with your phone. Faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. That's faith. It says, all right, I am confident. I believe that God actually is who he says in his word that he is and that he'll actually do what he says in his word that he will do. In his word, he says he's in control. Do I believe that? In his word, he says he's got the power to do miracles in my life and in the world. Do I believe that? 
in my experience, do I actually live like the God of the Bible is the God I believe in? Because that takes faith. That requires faith. This is a God who can hold the sun in place for 24 hours. Basically have us skip a day. This is a God who speaks and there's light. This is a God who breathes into dust and creates man. That he is that God and that he'll do what he says he'll do. That's faith. It's a working definition of faith. So then I have to understand that if God's put a dream in my heart and a vision in my life, if he's put a dream in this church and a vision in this church, that embracing and owning that vision is going to be an act of faith. Marshall, I love your heart as you just kind of shared, hey, God wants to do some bigger things. And we're recognizing that there's gaps between where God's called us and where we're at in this moment. And you know what the space in that gap is gonna take? It's gonna take faith. It's gonna take faith. Embracing and owning vision is an act of faith. You know this, you've had dreams in your life and you said, you know, I'm gonna accomplish this goal. I'm gonna finish this class. I'm gonna do this thing. God's put this dream in your heart. You're gonna do it. And the space in between there, the folks that follow through are people of faith that believe that God can and will do what he says he's gonna do. And because embracing and owning vision is an act of faith, pursuing vision is actually an act of worship. Pursuing vision is actually an act of worship. It's saying, God, I trust you. I think, you know, some, some definitions of worship will say worth-ship. Because you're worthy, we give you praise. And we say, God, because of your great worth, we follow you. But pursuing the vision, believing that you can do it, that you will do it, God, is actually an act of worship. Have you ever thought about chasing your vision as an act of worship? When my little youth group girl was going every Wednesday and opening her Bible and sitting alone at a table. That was worship. That was worship. When you step out in faith and believe that God's called you to serve or to give or to do something, that's worship. When we sat up here and we prayed for uh, uh, Rachel and we sent her off as a missionary to India just a, a few weeks ago, that was an act of worship as she stepped out in faith and did that. Pursuing vision is an act of worship. When God gives you vision, following through, especially when it's difficult, even when it's difficult, is in fact an act of worship. We see these acts of worship throughout the scripture. We just don't always call them worship. Think about Hebrews 11.7 with Noah. It says, by faith, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, he built, this is Noah, he built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that is in keeping with his faith. I want you to get this picture of Noah because we don't always think about Noah's work as worship. But Noah got up for years and took an ax and walked out to a tree nowhere close to water and started chopping and chopping. And those trees would fall. And then he took a planer or whatever kind of tool. This is Bronze Age tools, right? And he carved that out. And then he hauled those trees back. And he took a hammer, a mallet, and he started hammering those things together. And every hammer fall. Worship. 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 Every time someone walked by and mocked him, 
Why are you building a boat nowhere close to the water? You crazy old man. Why would you do this? Oh, God told me to do it. You're crazy. It's going to rain. What is rain? It's never rained before. God's going to flood the earth. Who, how is he going to flood the earth? The water's over there. You're not even close to the water. Animals are going to come and get on my boat. Animals don't listen to us. And he's got a hammer and he's listening to the, to the crowd and they're mocking him and his neighbors are mocking him and he's hearing the voice of God and God's given him a vision to accomplish something and every swing of the hammer, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Every step of the pursuing your vision is an act of worship. Verse eight, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Can you imagine God tapping you on the shoulder saying, pack up your family, pack up your house, pack up your goods and go to the place I'm telling you to go. Where's it at? I'm gonna tell you as you go. Uh, no, that's a hard pass on that, God. <laughs> If I can't put the directions in my IMAP, I'm not into it, right? And here's Abraham. He gathers his family. He gathers his herds. He gathers everything, and he takes a step. And you know what? He's going through his heart and his life. Worship. 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 God's like, take a left. <sighs> Worship. Worship. Every step towards pursuing the vision that God called him to pursue an act of worship. When God put vision in your heart and into your life, did you consider that honoring God with that was worship? That one of the greatest ways you could worship God was to say, I trust you enough to take the step of faith you've called me to take. You want me to lead my family different? Worship, worship, worship. The Seahawks have the early game, but I'm going to church. <sighs> Worship. <laughs> Worship. Come on, somebody. Worship. <laughs> Worship. Pastor Mike said we need help in kids. Ugh. Worship. <laughs> Worship. Worship. No one's out there helping us park some cars. Worship. 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 Come on, somebody. Every step. Pursuing the vision God's put in your life. I got to love my neighbor. Worship. 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 I got to get into a community of believers, a small group. Get in the car. We got to be there. Worship. 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 Come on, somebody. Every step you take in the direction of the vision that God's called you is a step and an act of worship. I'm just saying. So faith is the fuel for vision. When your vision isn't going anywhere, when it's stuck, the fuel of every good vision, 
every God vision is faith. Faith is what fuels it. Faith is what makes it go. Faith is what gets you to take a step, a heart to say, I'll go ahead and worship you, God, even though I don't see what you're doing. You call me to a land. I've never seen this land before, but I'll take a a step. Faith is what makes me take the step. Worship is what happens as a result of it. But faith is the fuel that makes a vision go. God's given you vision for your family and you're thinking, but it's gonna change everything. I got this vision, God. We're gonna get out of debt, but we gotta change. We gotta make some different choices. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to, man, it's gonna be hard. How could we possibly live without five ESPNs? Faith, faith is gonna help me get there. How can we possibly make a different decision and not just have the thing I want right now? It's Black Friday. Faith. Fuel's vision. I have to trust that you're not going to rob me, God. And to trust that you have something better for me. Come on, somebody. Faith is the thing we pour into vision to make it go. If your faith-ometer is low or empty, I'm just going to assume your vision isn't moving forward. It doesn't have gas. Before we're done, I'm going to challenge you on what fuels your faith. Because faith fuels your vision, but what fuels your faith? If you got your Bibles, let's pick up our story, our hero, Nehemiah, who's helping us understand about vision. We've been preaching for a while. We haven't got that far. We're only in chapter 2, like verse 8 and 9. We're going to jump ahead in the next week here because... um, Well, it just isn't going to be as exciting as he lays out all the details, and we'll get to some tension. Next week, I'll give you a preview right now. We're going to talk about opposition and how do you deal with the haters, right? And we'll talk a little bit about the haters today. But we ended two weeks ago on verse 8, and the end of verse 8 was this incredible statement that because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. And I won't completely recap if you're just jumping in right now. The very short version of the story is that Nehemiah had a crazy job. He was a cupbearer to the king, which means he tasted all the food before the king tasted the food. And if he died, the king wouldn't die. That was awesome uh, for the king, but not so much for Nehemiah. But it was awesome for Nehemiah because he got to live and party like the king. He got to go to all the best parties, and all he had to do was eat the food and make sure everything was okay. So we picked up last, uh, last time that Nehemiah had heard from his family that had gone back to Jerusalem that the walls were destroyed in Jerusalem still. And though people had returned that had been in captivity for 70 years, they'd gone back to the holy city to their place of worship. They couldn't worship because there was no walls giving them protection and the outlying communities would come in and scatter them and attack them and drive them out. And so the people of God could not gather in community. There was no strength than the strength that God gives when we get together like this in community, when we lock in in small groups and relationships, that instead the enemy was coming in and driving them out into isolation and they were living on the outskirts of town and camps and they would try to come together and worship and the enemy would come in and drive them out. And Nehemiah heard this and it broke his heart and for three and a half to four months, he prayed and fasted and he said, God, I'm broken for the people of God that can't worship the way God created 
isolated. They're vulnerable. They're weak. The enemy's attacking them. They can't get together. I see the danger. I know that the enemy wants us isolated and apart from each other so that we can't gather and use each other's strength to grow. And I'm devastated by this loss, even though I live in the castle with the king and eat the king's food. How could I possibly enjoy this knowing that the people of God are scattered and weakened? And I'm, even though he's not a prophet, he's not a priest, he's a planner. And he's a, come on now, he's a type A organized personality and God has room in the kingdom for all the gifts and all the skill sets. So he makes a plan and he starts dreaming, but he doesn't know how God's gonna make it happen. The only way it can happen is if God gives him opportunity to cast that dream and then somehow God's gonna have to give him favor to make that dream happen. So the opportunity happens. The king sees him, says, why are you so downcast? It was illegal to be depressed in the presence of the king because the king was awesome in his mind. So if you're down and depressing, it's just like, hey, kill this guy. Bring in the next guy who's more exciting. Don't be a downer, you know. You're, you're, what's the phrase? You're harshing my, 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 my excitement, right? You're killing me. Yeah. So Nehemiah gets the you're killing me smalls conversation from the king. And he's terrified because it's illegal to be depressed in the presence of the king. But instead of cowering or making an excuse, he makes a pitch because he's got vision. And he says, the walls of my ancestors and my homeland are torn down. And the king's like, what do you want to do with it, about it? And he gives a list. He's like, well, I'm going to need supplies, troops, and favor. Can I have all that? And the king says, or, well, and then Nehemiah responds. and says, because of the gracious hand of my God that was on me, the king granted my request. Some of us have never taken the step of actually vocalizing our vision because we're scared the king would never grant our request. And Nehemiah just said, what, what, I have, this is the opportunity, let's take the risk. I've been praying, I've been fasting, and if God's in it, let's see if he does something. And he does. Incredible point right here is after four months of praying and fasting, God, uh, Nehemiah immediately remembers who gets the credit. He remembers who gets the credit. And you need to remember who gets the credit. Every great dream, the dominoes that fall, they're not your dominoes, they're his dominoes. We get to partner and then we say, God, thank you for your graciousness, your kindness. And sometimes it's really hard to remember when some favor comes our way that God's been granting that favor. We start taking the credit and I think some vision dies because we start stealing the credit from God and we lose the favor of God. And he says, oh, you got this? Go ahead. And then down we fall. Every step of the way, come on, church, remember who gets the credit. Everything that happens in the life of this church, God gets the credit. Gets the credit. You're here today, God gets the credit. Come on now. We give and we sacrifice and we serve and we have this incredible place where we can come and we worship and God gets the credit. He brings us together and he does it. Nehemiah understood that your faith has to be grounded in his ability, not yours. If your faith is grounded in your own ability and it's down to just you, that's not really faith. That's faith in you. That's self-faith. That's like, hey, I'm awesome. I got this. But if God's on the hook, that's awesome. That's good news. He's got this. This church where this whole thing is going, the whole thing falls apart if God's not in it. I wouldn't have it any other way. I hope you don't want to go to a church where we can do everything we do without his help. I just I hope you don't want that. Make sure your faith is grounded in his ability, not yours. God is on the hook. 
What's Nehemiah's next move? He starts taking action. He goes, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> he goes to Jerusalem and he starts the process. Verse nine. We're going to roll through this. He says, so I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and I gave them the king's letters. This is what he's asked for. And the king had also sent army officers and a cavalry with me. How cool is that? He didn't even ask for that. Now he's rolling with some soldiers and some horsemen, soldiers, cavalry. And I love this because he leaves his servant position and he's no longer a servant. He's been elevated to a statesman. God elevates him based on faith. He didn't even ask for this favor. Sometimes you're gonna catch favor you didn't even ask for. How cool is that? God's granting him not just the favor of the king. Sometimes I wonder if we remember to pray for favor. Just pray for favor. Just say, God, I don't know how this is gonna work, but if you're in it, would you do more than what I could even dream up? Because if I can dream it, that's, that's like limited to my capacity. But what if it was your dream? What if it was your dream? When I'm praying for this church in this next season, I just keep praying, God, it's gotta be your dream. It's gotta be bigger than what I could think of. Verse 10, so when San, Sanballat, I should have practiced this name, the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. We're gonna spend time next week unpackaging Sanballat and Tobiah because they're in, in, uh, uh, incredibly in prominent characters in this story. So we'll dive into dealing with some resistance, but we're gonna learn something from 90s hip hop artists real quick because that's my era. Now, if you're not familiar with this principle, you should know this principle. All truth is God's truth, right? If it's contained in the scripture or it's not contained in the scripture, if it's true, then God designed that into existence. So the scriptures never implicitly say one plus one is two. Come on now. But we know one plus one is two because the order of God's design. If it's true, then it's God's truth. And so this is a statement of truth. And it's not necessarily contained in the scriptures, but I think we see it right here. And 90s hip hop artists nailed it. I actually believe it was iced tea. And he said something very profound. And you need to remember this. He said, haters gonna hate. <laughs> he said, haters gonna hate. And when you got vision and when you got a mission from God, haters are gonna hate. There are gonna be people who are critical who are slow to see your vision, to slow to get on board. They're not connected to God. They don't share the dream that God's put into your life. And you know what their default position is gonna be? Hate. And haters gonna hate. And you're gonna run into haters. If you're not running into haters, then you're not walking into your vision. Haters are gonna hate. And so for the first time, Nehemiah, all this favor... He heads off to Jerusalem and he meets two important officials who are kind of running things in the, in the city over there. And immediately they're like, what's this guy trying to do? Who this guy think he is? This guy thinks he can just do what he wants to do and rebuild the walls. We didn't sign off on that. We didn't make that decision. We didn't come together and buy into that. He didn't sell it to us. This isn't our dream. This is his dream. And I don't think that I want to buy into this. And I got to tell you something, haters going to hate. And that is the truth. But I love this. He's unfazed. Verse 11. So we went to Jerusalem and he stayed there for three days. He's just kind of on the DL hanging out. <clears throat> and it says, verse 12. I set out during the night with a few others. 
I hadn't told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. Why is this so important? Nehemiah lands. Remember, he hasn't ever seen the city before. He just knows about it. He grew up in captivity. He shows up. He immediately meets some haters. And he says, you know what? I have to see what no one else sees in order to lead people where no one else is going. And so I'm going to walk into the town. I'm going to go at night. doesn't matter if it's dark because I got vision. I'm going to walk and inspect the walls. I'm not going to make a big deal out of the dream God has for me yet until I have a picture of what it looks like. And he walks out into the night and he develops a strategy. Remember, he was a strategist. He's got God-given vision. doesn't matter if it's dark out. I love this. It's not blind faith. Come on now. It's not blind faith. It's faith in the blind. I can't see everything that God's doing, but I believe. But it's not blind faith. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. It's I know he's going to do something. I just don't know how he's going to do it yet. Verse 13. We get to go on a little whirlwind tour through the city. Um, I should have brought you. Maybe next week I'll bring you a picture of the city gate so you can see. But it says, by night I went through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, which is hilarious, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there wasn't enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. And finally I turned back and I re-entered through the valley gate. He does this loop over the southern side of the... Actually, northeast side of the of the city he runs circles around the city and he surveys the destruction he's trying to figure out how big of a task did i really sign up for how much destruction and damage is there really here he wants to know before he faces the doubters you got to hear this haters are different than doubters right haters gonna hate doubters just need some vision Doubters need a chance to jump on and to get on board. And you're going to run into some doubters too. And they may steal your faith if you don't know what God's called you to do. So that's why it's so important to have a plan. Because the doubter's going to come in and say, there's no way you can do that. And you're going to say, oh, there's a way. The doubter's going to say, we've tried that before and it didn't work. Oh, but you didn't try it with God's help in this way. Doubters are going to come in and say, I just, I'm not sure that it's going to work. And you're going to say, that's okay. I don't need you to be sure that it's going to work. I need you to have faith that God can do anything. So he's prepping for the doubters. Sometimes the doubters can steal our joy if we haven't seen what God will do. Verse 16, the officials didn't know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or anyone else, listen to this, who would be doing the work. Sometimes good people just can't get behind vision, especially when the vision looks like work for them. Come on, church. We know this in church world. We got vision. We're going to go reach some people. I need 10 of us to show up and pass out some things and put them on doors. Oh, that's a hard pass, Pastor Mike. No, thanks. That looks like too much work for me. Right? I need us to, to come a little early and pray before the service. Oh, that's too much work. Woo. So Nehemiah knows that the next conversation is going to be with the people that are going to have to do some work. And before that, he wants to be sure that he can lay out what the dream really needs to be. 
So he sets the strategy, knowing they may not be able to handle it. But he's never in any question that they're going to come around him and do the work. Some of you, for your vision, have had a hard time thinking how anything's going to get done because it just seems impossible to ask anyone to partner with you. And Nehemiah is like, just get the strategy together and then go find the people who can help you do it and then ask them and see if God doesn't do the rest. Verse 17, he says, then I said to them, these are the people who are going to be doing the work. <clears throat> you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be in disgrace. <clears throat> he points out the problem. He says, you can all see the problem. You can all see that this isn't where it needs to be, that this isn't, we don't have the protection that we need. And in matter of fact, if people from the outside were looking in, we're actually in disgrace. We're hiding at night in the wilderness from roving people that want to come and kill us and steal from us. That's not what God called us to. That's not the plan that God designed us for. We're unable to fellowship and be in community and to worship like God designed us for. We can't keep this up. We've got to work hard now so we can have what God has promised us could be. It's like, we got to do this. Verse 18, I also told them, this is so good, about the gracious hand of my God that had been on me and what the king had said to me. So they replied, let us start rebuilding. And they began this good work. You want to know the power that you have and bring to play is your story. It's your testimony. It's the confirming of what God's already done. So he tells his people, these guys have been living in the city and they're trying to worship God. They know they're supposed to be there. They know this is the promise. They know that Abraham stepped out like we just talked about before and wandered under the direction of God until he landed here. He knows that the Egyptians, when they uh, the, the, uh, the Israelites, when they left Egypt, this is the destination. They wandered for 40 years and Joshua let them in. This is the place that God's promised them. This is where they're supposed to worship. This is the territory God's given them. But they can't worship because the walls are destroyed and the communities around them are raiding them and taking them out. And he's like, listen, you've gotten used to not having what God's promised you. Let's not do that anymore. Let's not do that. Let's not settle for that. What if we stepped into that? And they're like, we want to do that. And he says, well, let me tell you a little bit about God that maybe you forgot. When you pray and when you fast and when you plan and the favor of the Lord is with you, like he's been with me, there's nothing that we can't do. And the doubters become doers. The doubters become doers. It says, so they began his good it's awesome. Verse 19. <clears throat> We're almost there. We meet the haters one more time. But Sambalat, the Horonite, and Toba, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Aram, Arab, <coughs> excuse me, heard about it. And they mocked us, and they ridiculed us. They said, what is this thing you're doing? <clears throat> they asked, are you rebelling against the king? Here comes the haters with their hate. These guys start baking bricks. They're starting to plan to make the wall. They're starting to mobilize to work. And here comes these other officials, these empowered people, and they're like, this is weak. You're never going to do this. 
You guys aren't strong enough. Your God isn't with you. You can't accomplish this thing. Do you even have permission to do this? You guys look rebellious. This isn't the way that we think you should do it. This looks rebellious. This isn't honoring to the king. Verse 20, Nehemiah answered them by saying, um, <clears throat> excuse me, fellas. No, I added that. The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you've got no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. He says, listen, if you're gonna be haters, you just lost any possibility of being a part of what God's doing right here, but God will give us success. This isn't on us. You can't mock us because it's not on us. You can't steal the joy from me because this is worship. Every hammer swing, every brick I make is worship. I'm doing this for God, so you can't attack me and take the joy out of it because it's not for me, and it's not a me. It's about him and he's getting the credit and he's getting the glory and he's making it happen. So it's not me. So hate all you want. In the early 2000s, another hip hop artist gave us the answer to dealing with haters. And he said, you got to shake the haters off. All truth is God's truth, guys. Let me give you four compelling components of a vision. So I give you some tools here. We're almost there. Four components of a compelling vision. These are the elements that Nehemiah brought to play in order to activate the faith because without faith, there's no fuel for the vision and he wants to activate their faith. And so he comes to them and we see this story. He says, there's a, first of all, there's a problem. The walls are torn down. We can't possibly worship the way we want to worship. The city is unguarded and undefended. And if we gather in here and bring resources in here, the local raiders will come and raid and take everything. No one likes the raiders. <laughs> I didn't get any amens. There's a problem. We got to solve it. Come on now. Then he says there's a solution though. We can actually build the walls. We can do it. We can restore it. We can build it. And God gave us the strength. And then he says, there's a reason that something must be done. Not only is there a problem and a solution, but there's a why. And the why is because we are losing our opportunity to worship. We are losing our opportunity to do what God's called us to do, to be who God's called us to be. He, the enemy is pushing us into isolation. And because of that isolation, we're getting picked off one by one. And we can't celebrate and worship our God the way we were designed to worship our God. And not only is there a reason that something must be done, there's a reason that it must be done now. Because the favor and the hand of God is with us today. So we got to do it. We can't wait we can't hold off. We can't say that. We can't kick the can down the road and hope that eventually it will be someone else's responsibility. These components of a compelling vision are so important. This is what drives us as a church to, to go and reach people who are disconnected in our community and to build a network through rooted in small groups of relationship that people can come to and we care and we recognize that something has to be done and it has to be done now. So faith fuels vision. 
We recognize what has to happen and we recognize the gap and we understand that faith is what fuels it. And we recognize that faith is confidence that God is who he says he will, he is, and he'll do what he's promised that he'll do. So we know that that's what faith is. So I told you earlier, I was gonna tell you what fuels faith. What do I, but Pastor Mike, here's my problem. My problem is I don't have a lot of faith right now. And so I'm struggling in this gap of how in the world do I fuel my faith? I wanna have more faith. What is the catalyst for more faith? And here's what I think why God's favor is just so kind. Because early, I was supposed to preach this message two weeks ago. And through some structure, the Lord just kind of moved pieces around and suddenly we're here and it's this week and it's today. And it's the week of Thanksgiving. And here's what's just the favor and kind of the cleverness of God when you realize he's got things that you don't got. Because I recognize what fuels faith. What fuels faith is gratitude. What fuels faith is remembering the things God has done in your past to get you to this place and thanking him and recognizing that that same God is the God who's called you now to the next thing. And you ever find yourself in a position where your faith seems to be wavering and you need to fuel your faith because without your faith, you can't fuel your vision. Oh, come on now. And you gotta fuel, fuel your faith we start by going, okay, here are the things that I know God's done and promised. He rescued me. He saved me, sent his son to pay the price for me. He redeemed me. He restored that relationship. He saved my marriage, my relationship, my health. He stepped in. He blessed my kids. He provided. And if he's done all these things till now, come on now. Why wouldn't I believe that that God is the same God who will do the thing that needs to happen next? And so we're going into Thanksgiving this week. And suddenly I have a Thanksgiving message. What you're thankful for, your gratitude towards the Lord will fuel your faith for the mission that God's put in your life going forward. And if you feel like your faith tank is empty, this is a week, this is a time to kind of restore that. The same God, come on now, who met you on your knees at that camp, in that service, through that moment. That same God who broke free for you the, the, the chains that were holding you on. That same God is the God you're relying on in order to move to where he's called you to next. So can I get a grateful heart in the church this morning? Can I get someone excited? Would you stand with me? I know some of you are frustrated because you're like, come on, Pastor Mike, I'm trying to be grateful, but I keep asking and I don't see what God's doing. <clears throat> and Jesus is like, yeah, but you know, the way that works, Matthew 7, he says, just ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. What is he saying? He's like, don't stop asking. Don't get frustrated. When you ask, doors open. And if you're not praying, you're not asking, you're not fasting, you're not getting in there, then you might run into some closed doors. Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. He's like, listen, this woman, she's banging on the door. She's demanding justice. She's crying out for help. She's getting ignored. She's getting ignored and she's getting ignored. And finally, the judge is like, okay, fine. I'm gonna help you purely out of annoyance. And he's like, how much more is your heavenly father hear you when you cry out to him and wanna meet your need? 
Don't get tired of the ask and pressing forward because we recognize that God showed up in the past. Come on now. And he wants to show up in the future. And we got to be in this position where our faith has to get extended. And if you're in the faith zone right now, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't get frustrated. Keep asking. Keep pressing. Keep moving. Keep stepping. Keep going forward. And all of those things will hold together because Jesus is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do. So I thought maybe the right way to end today was maybe to just declare with our voice whatever the thing is that we're hoping for, that Jesus is the peace that will hold it all together. So would you lift your voices with me one more time and we're gonna just declare that he is the cornerstone. He is the peace that holds this together. He'll hold your vision together. He'll hold this church together. He'll energize your faith. He will be faithful because that's who he is. Come on. We recognize that sometimes there is a gap in our faith. And I pray this week as we sit around tables and we eat food and we celebrate, we would take time, just just a moment and pause and remember how faithful you have been and that it would fuel our faith for how faithful you will be and that that would fuel our vision to get us to step out. Come on now and take a step, even though sometimes we don't know the end result and how it's gonna work out, that the testimony of our lives would be the good hand of our gracious God was on us and we could do it. I pray that would get into our church it would get into this body, that it would become contagious and it would leak out of us and that others would see and go, what is, what is this crazy optimism that you possess? What is this crazy? And, and it would simply be us saying, because I know it's not on me. It's on him and he's faithful and I trust him and we trust you and we love you in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.